welcome to the Tao of Our Understanding Recovery Podcast. In this podcast, we discuss mystical works of literature and how they relate to recovery. We hope you enjoy today's podcast episode. Hello, this is Buddy C. Welcome to the Tao of Our Understanding Recovery Podcast. If you're a regular listener, you may notice that we have not been putting up podcasts. We're Backing off for the moment to one a month, this one that we're going to do the first Thursday with Sensei and the others. I really felt like we needed to just take a step back. We're still meeting, but have more of a meeting environment that was not recorded that could be more of a, an AA meeting, more of a recovery meeting where we talk about how Dallas teachings relate to what we learn, and how we practice this program in our lives. For example, last week, we're going through the steps. We'll do the third step Tuesday night, and then we'll do the fourth step on Thursday. That's Tuesday the 8th, and then Thursday the 10th. We're in November of 22. So we'll get back eventually to recording again more. Uh, For example, we talked about Tuesday, just to give you an idea of the good stuff that's coming out of this meeting, um, we talked about the 14th verse as it relates to the second step. You can't know it, but you can be it at ease in your own life. And the whole verse is talking about knowing and moving from knowing to being. And the second step was talking about come to believe that a power greater than yourself could restore you to sanity. The restoration to sanity we realize was stopping the need to know. That's that's the insane part is that we think we've got to know everything and it fit perfectly and we just fell into that. And that's the doubt, just, just letting things happen and just falling into things that we don't try to control. So we'll go on some other topics after we run through the steps. Wanted to do that. We'll look at things like, where is acceptance in Taoist teaching? Where is forgiveness in Taoist teachings? By the way, the resentment verse uh, for the Tao Te Ching would be verse 79 if you want to know what the resentment verse is. Like 552 in the resentment teaching in the big book, that's what that would be. But enough of that. We've got a unrecorded meeting that we're talking about. We're going to have that at 4 p.m. every Thursday, other than the first Thursday, and 9 p.m. Eastern, both Eastern, every Tuesday night. So we're doing a Dow meeting on Tuesday night that's not recorded. We still have the fourth dimensioners going. Uh, they're at 9 p.m. It's an open AA meeting every night of the week, every day of the year. Still a fantastic meeting. Uh, ZoomAAMeetings.com will get you there. You can get to this meeting with Dow, T-A-O, A-A meeting.com will get you straight to this meeting. You have to be logged into your Zoom account for authentication, but it'll take you straight to this meeting. Join us sometime if you would like. Got that going on. Got the Facebook group. Anything else we need to announce, guys, or everything good? Where's Craig to take care of me? He's not, he didn't get permission not to come today. I don't know where he is. I'll have to check on him. Let's read a couple of these. Of course, I always like the Stephen Mitchell. Anyone want to read one of these others? Like Amy always liked Ron Hogan, right? 
Wayne Dyer is not on this uh, comparative list, right? No, he's not. I, I'll read him then later. Okay. Amy, you want to read uh, Hogan first? Sure. Verse 25, Ron Hogan's translation. Something perfect has existed forever, even longer than the universe. It's a vast, unchanging void. There's nothing else like it. It goes on forever and never stops, and everything else came from it. I don't know what else to call it, so I'll call it Tao. What's it like? I can tell you this much. It's great. So great that it endures. Something that endures goes a long way, and something that goes a long way always comes back to the beginning. Tao's great. Heaven's great. Earth's great. And someone in touch with Tao is great, too. Those are the four greatest things in the universe. Someone who's in touch with Tao is in touch with the earth. The earth is in touch with heaven. Heaven's in touch with Tao. Tao's in touch with the way things are. Hmm. Tao is in touch with the way things are. That's acceptance, isn't it? Huh. It's a little different in Zen. Um, David Chadwick wrote a book about Henry Suzuki, Roshi, called the Crooked Cucumber, because that was a nickname for Suzuki when he was a young boy. And uh, he kept pressing Suzuki to express Zen in simple few words or whatever. And he said, things as it is, <laughs> and uh, which is not proper English. But uh, he didn't mean just Things as they are, if so, what purpose would there be in practicing all the difficult practice of Zen? So, but, uh, so it's interpreted as being things as they really are. The way things as they are is not the way we perceive them. So it brings up that anomaly or that koan that e even our own perception is called into question. Something is off, you know, something missing. Thank you, Sensei. Anyone like to read any of the other verses? I will read Stephen Mitchell's verse 25. There was something formless and perfect before the universe was born. It is serene, empty, solitary, unchanging, infinite, eternally present. It is the mother of the universe. For lack of a better name, I call it the Tao. It flows through all things, inside and outside, and returns to the origin of all things. The Tao is great. The universe is great. Earth is great. Man is great. These are the four great powers. Man follows the earth. Earth follows the universe. The universe follows the Tao. The Tao follows only itself. That idea of being eternally present, I think, is very akin, Sensei, to the uh, the way things is. Yeah, the, uh, this is, uh, the expressions point at this, and then, like the Shinsing main trust in mind, poem says, uh, understanding the, uh, it says you will never know oneness, uh, and then with uh, understanding the mystery of this one essence 
we are released from all entanglement. So it's like the, the mystery and uh, a one essence. It's a bit like, I, I guess it was a Greek idea of noumenon being the central shared essence of everything, running through everything that is the sameness. And then phenomena as being the multiplicity of the many, the differences. So the sameness exists only in the context of the difference and vice versa. So this gets a little more mystical. I, I, I think about Taoism compared to Zen or Buddhism as being a little more like science or physics, whether it's more kind of a, an objective description of reality absent the observer even um and here here are the observers you know man is great man follows the earth and so forth man is also great because mankind humankind can have can have this intuition can come to this understanding whereas chicken dogs cats and cows you know not so much not likely but points to our special place in the universe in the, in the scheme of things and that's sort of where Buddhism starts. Buddhism, Buddha's own insight uh, is all about his place as the observer of all this. Okamura Roshi said, we are the, con the universe becoming conscious of itself. So Taoism tends to describe this kind of objectively or whether human beings exist or not. Whereas in Buddhism, the whole point is that we do exist and that we are conscious to this degree that we can have this kind of discussion even, have this kind of insight. Nowadays, we think, you know, science fiction, we have five on other planets, maybe superior beings, and maybe even whales and dolphins, you know, have, have superior consciousness. So it's more of an open question than it used to be back in the day when these were things were written 2,500 years ago. They didn't have the science we have, which I'm not sure helps. It seems to make it even more complicated. Yeah, you know, it looks like uh, we have not arrived at any more of an understanding of what is than they wrote here 2,500 years ago, mm -hmm. you know? It's not, it's not anymore. We can't say, oh no, you missed it there. It's like this. Yeah, that's exactly like it is. <laughs> yeah. You know? The next book, my next book coming out in February is the Razor Blade of Zen. And I set up uh, Zen as sort of in this culture as being in the middle between the extremes of theism, religion on one end and not uh, rationalism, science on the other. And the extremes of fundamentalism on the religion end and secular reductionism on the rational end. Zen is somewhere, Zen is somewhere in the middle. And so it's, uh, it's a little like, um, seeing the mystery, embracing the unknown and, uh, science trying to explain everything and religion relying on belief. So they're very different takes. And uh, I start with the questions and the grid, always dimensions of, of the three, the three fields. And the question that um, rationalism or science asks 
is the how question. So the advantage we have now in terms of science is we know much more about how things work and how things came to be. You know, medicine, all theories of biology, et cetera, et cetera. But as you're saying, we're no closer to answering the what question, but that's the Zen question. The religious or philosophical questions are like why questions. And when the answer is God, it's the, the who answer, you know, when the answer is who, that's theism. <laughs> so I think I think your intuition is good that the, the question being asked in Taoism and Zen is more like a what question. What what is this? You know, not not how does it work? And that's all we know more about now. Twenty five hundred years later, we basically know more about how things work. So you we know, don't know anything about what what it is. This is, you know, this verse is just describing what is really. He's not explaining yeah. it. It's just describing it. You know, yeah. you know, like, you know, we've talked many, you know, a lot of times about the strawberry. You know, you can't describe how strawberry tastes really. You, they have to taste it to really experience it. You know, you, your whatever description you can do is not good enough. And I think that's the same here that we learn that, you know, it's, uh, we, we can describe the manifestations. We can describe what we see happening, but we can't. That's not the the nuts and bolts of why it works that way or why it is. How it came to be. Yes. Yes. You want to read Wayne Dyer? I didn't like his commentary much. It got kind of Oprah-esque about. He's a little too know. liberal for me since I. Well, he's, uh, I think, you know, he's. He's trying to help, but uh, it just got to be too much of that Oprah-esque thing. Of, Did you get it? I got it. I'm going to take it home with me. I got it. Did you get it? You know. Here's... <laughs> so I get there, was... Out of you. <laughs> there was something formless and perfect before the universe was born. It is serene, empty. And, and it's useful, by the way, to look at the other translations when you're hearing them this. You can, see, you can see the comparison. There was something formless and perfect before the universe was born. It is serene, empty, solitary, unchanging, infinite, eternally present. It is the mother of the universe. For lack of a better name, I call it the Tao. I call it great. Great is boundless. Boundless is eternally flowing. Ever flowing, it is constantly returning. Therefore, the way is great. Heaven is great. Earth is great. People are great. Thus, to know humanity, understand Earth. To know Earth, understand Heaven. To know Heaven, understand the way. To know the way, understand the great within yourself. And he keys off of that last line, I think, a little too much. But in Dogen's vow, it sounds a little similar to this. In the beginning, it says, uh, we vow with all being from this life on throughout countless lives to hear the true Dharma. That upon hearing it, no doubt will arise in it, nor will we lack in faith. That upon meeting it, we shall renounce worldly affairs and maintain the Buddha Dharma, and that in doing so, the great earth with all beings together will attain the Buddha way. 
So Dogen often refers to the great earth as the context in which we live and practice and so on. That has that in common with Taoism. Since I'm glad that Craig was able to make it today, he's he's trying to get here, I think. I want to go ahead and read uh, how I interpreted verse 25. It, it's about it's in some of the same, but uh, there was something containing everything before the world began. Empty, complete, unchanging, tranquil, formless, ever-giving, and in constant motion without effort. This something permeates everything, accessible everywhere. If I were to impose a name, I would call it the Tao, the Way, or higher power. This way is functioning everywhere, ever flowing and always returning. Man follows the earth, earth follows the universe, the universe follows the way, and the way always follows its nature of love. These four are the great ones. They naturally follow each other in a continual harmonious dance of love. On second thought, I think I will call this something love. So I went, I went that route with it. That's how it spoke to me. Now, if we're looking at personal application, really, we could substitute love in there for, for any of the description of what the Tao or, or the, the manifestations of compassion in our life are all of those manifestations that we're talking about of the Tao. When we really think about it, uh, yeah, that, that would be a personal application for sure. Craig, you got anything to add, sir? How are you today? Glad you could join us. Not to put you on the spot. <laughs> what time is it? <laughs> I wish you guys would keep up and change your clocks the same time as I do. That Bye. way that way I'm not late for your meetings. So when we were in Copenhagen the time changer we had no idea. So it really messed us up too because all of a sudden we are five hours different. So yes, I agree. I wish you would change your clock at the same time we did. No, that's not what I said. You guys need to keep up with me because <laughs> obviously it's all about me. What? <laughs> if that's not fair, are you ahead of us in the in, in the uh, in the topography of the earth? So. He's yeah, always ahead of us, sensei. Yeah, I'm in your future. <laughs> but I was, I was just, I was sitting wasting time. And Louise says, "We says, have you got meetings tonight?" I says, "Yeah, I got nine o'clock down meeting." And then I was, I was just mindlessly wasting time. And Pedro texts me, says, "Are you joining the meeting?" I was like, "Back." <laughs> Every year you catch me out. One of my weekly calls is from Newfoundland. And he's like a half hour difference. <laughs> I, I normally do quite well because I've got, I've got seven sponsors all over the world. So the time difference varies from eight hours to, to four hours. So I usually get it quite quite close, apart from the last couple of weeks in October and into November. And the guys will text me saying, where are you? You know, Have you decided to go drinking again because you're not here? <laughs> I've got a real supporting bunch of guys. <laughs> Guys, anyone else with any uh, comments on this verse twenty-five? How it, how you see this? How it relates to what you've experienced? Or any questions for Sensei? Well, I don't necessarily have any questions about the Tao because it just because it's so it's really easy to explain it. I, I get I don't know. 
But this this verse, this twenty fifth verse, um, this is the verse where I try to really step outside and see that everything was there well before I was ever there, and I can't. Ch- I have no control. This is the verse that tells me I have no control over anything, and it was all because it was all here before me. That's sort of how I grasp it, because it's a big verse. It's that That's unusually long. I like to see the, this. I like to see the start as this one is the start of Genesis. In the beginning, there was nothing. There was just a void, and then you know it was filled from it was filled from God or the Tao. So uh, it's just exactly what Marla was saying. You know, there was something much bigger here before I was, and I've got a fair idea there's going to be something much bigger still here by the time I'm gone as well. So just maybe don't take yourself so seriously and just go with what's going on in, in life and. Um, just remember that I'm part of the, I'm part of the, I'm a, I'm a cog in the wheel. I'm not the whole wheel. Or Craig, are you like the, 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 <laughs> the little toe on the foot that worries about dinner? Oh, do you know Is that? I hate toes. I absolutely, do you know Anything else apart from toes. I hate toes. Right? I, I can be the, I can be the pinky finger, right? But not the, not the pinky toe. <laughs> <laughs> This one, I'll, I'll read this one if you like. It's got sure, that's great. Thank a, you. A curious, a curious line in here, star, star translation. Sometimes formless, something, sorry, something formless, complete in itself, there before heaven and earth, tranquil, vast, standing alone, unchanging. It provides for all things, yet cannot be exhausted. It is the mother of the universe. I do not know its name, so I call it Tao. Forced to name it further, I call it, quote, the greatness of all things, and, quote, the end of all endings. I call it, quote, that which is beyond the beyond, and, quote, that to which all things return. From Tao comes all greatness. It makes heaven great. It makes earth great. It makes man great. Mankind depends on the laws of earth. Earth depends on the laws of heaven. Heaven depends on the laws of Tao. A Tao depends on itself alone. Supremely free, self-so hyphenated, it rests in its own nature. So what caught me there was uh, going on to say it is also the end of all endings, the greatness of all things, and to which all things return. Um, there's an expression. I've heard an expression about Taoism, which is somewhere in this collection. Um, the many return to the one. To what does the one return? So it's a question, a koan. And, uh, Dogen says in one of his teachings, Buddhism leaps aside from the many and the one. And he goes on to say, thus there are Buddhas, there is delusion and realization. But as, uh, there is, there is life and birth and death. Thus there is birth and death. Illusion and realization, sentient beings and Buddhists. 
So that, that's an introduction to one of his poems where he contrasts the relative to the absolute. But he makes the point that Buddhism leaps aside of the many and the one. So I think the way we understand that is the many and the one is a dyad or a binary, as we call it today, where what we generally call an opposite and you know, rational analysis. But they're not really opposites, they're complementary. Uh, you don't have one without the many, and the many means nothing without the one. And so when he says, at least the side of the many and the one, it doesn't discredit the idea that there is, there is the many, or there are the many, the phenomena, and there is the one, the noumena, or the essence, and so forth. But um, there's a third truth, a third way of looking at it, where those two are complementary within the larger truth, in which you you don't have the one without without the other. Uh, sensei, would that would that be that uh, the many may not realize it's part of the one? <laughs> it, all I, the little, all, all the little many manys probably have <laughs> no no such realization. Yeah, you know this is, and if we're not careful when we read this, we'll think dualistically with it. You know, and yeah, I like well, the language. Language is yes. dualistic. Yeah, yeah. kind of stuck. This this line that says it flows through all things inside and outside and returns to the or to the origin of all things. Craig, I was thinking about your hydrologic cycle and how water. Yeah, the water cycle. Yeah, uh, how water. If it's a stream, you know, on a mountain, it's still water. If it's clouds in the air, it's still a form. Of water, if it's right. in the ocean, it's still water. It's not; it's still water. It's made up a little bit different, and it has different purposes and functions, and provides in different ways. But it's all water. You can't say none of those are not. Frozen in uh, icebergs. You know. Yes, yes. So the whole the whole thing is water. So you can't say you know. I think that's the same idea when we think about that we're different or not part of. We're just in the same way. We're all a part of, I think, instead, you know, if we can, if we, and that's what Zen's doing for me, Sensei, is helping me to realize that I'm just a part. I'm not separate. I, I used yeah. to think it was all me and it's not. Yeah. yeah. All I, I was just going like, oh my gosh, the hydrological cycle, which is really just the water cycle <laughs> because we had this whole conversation. <laughs> There was a, when discussing step two with, with sponsees, um, I probably don't have time to find it now, but there's an analogy about water and how, you know, water is water regardless of what form it's in or what we put it in. Or, you know, sometimes we add uh, tea to it or, or other flavor enhancers or, you know, we like it cold or hot or whatever, but it's always water and that's the same concept as as a higher power it doesn't matter what form the higher power is in as long as it's something other than you so it's pretty cool you know then saying water 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 is not wet it just makes things wet i don't understand that one since they expound oh i do 
Go ahead. Yeah. Explain. The four elements are called out. I would say uh, the four elements return to their natures just as a child turns to its mother. Fire heats, wind moves, water wet, earth is solid. Now, if you had a parallel construction, you would have to say what earth does. And so I, I guess you would say earth resists or earth something, you know. Water is liquid. Uh, so water wets. We are the only ones who experience the so-called wetness of water. The fish doesn't experience it. You know, uh, water is not wet to itself. Uh, when it's frozen, of course, it's quote-unquote not wet unless it melts in our hand because of the warmth. So wetness is a perceived reality. Uh, it does not exist outside of our consciousness. You get that, Amy? I'll make sure you got that. Yeah, I did, buddy. Thanks. I may need to ask that question next year since say that's not a question for me for 2022. <laughs> I've put that one on the shelf. Am I, always, am I in this moment more spiritual than Buddy C? I think that's what's happening. If you were around me much, that would be an ongoing thing. So, uh, <laughs> trust me. Uh, any more questions or any comments on this, guys? Okay. the why the progression from Tao to universe to earth to man? Is there anything there in that? Full circle. Say again? It's just a full circle. Yeah. I sent you, did I not send you my model of uh, spheres of influence or spheres of practice where you have the personal sphere in the middle? They're nesting, you can look at them different ways, but nesting spheres, personal, surrounded by social. Right, and then surrounded by natural, and then surrounded by universal. So you can see the hierarchy is also a uh, hierarchy in which one is subsumed under the other. And uh, your personal sphere is you—you're the only person, the only consciousness that has your world. Nobody else lives in your body. You know, we used to think of. Uh, and, and still do. Uh, I am in here looking out, right? My mind is in here and it's looking out and seeing and hearing and feeling and touching and so forth. The rest of reality, the outer world. Um, but this, this idea, I think, uh, Hakuin Zenju, 18th century Zen master said, there is no inner and outer. And, um, so, in, in our meditation, we do a walking meditation, which is extremely slow walk, half a step with a full cycle of breath. So you're almost not moving at all. When you do that, you get up from the cushion and you, you go walking around about five minutes in a circle and then come back and sit down again. So you have the relative stillness of sitting on the cushion and the relative motion of doing this very slow walk. And they're both considered meditation. Uh, the walking does relieve the stress on the legs from sitting, etc. but it's its own meditation. And what you notice is when you're walking through the zendo, the zendo is flowing through you. If you stop, it stops. If you move to the right, it moves exactly that amount to the left. So the relationship of your walking to it, you to it, is like a zero sum. There's no motion because Every move you make, it makes a counter move. 
So you become aware of what is called mokara, emotion and stillness, stillness in motion. The two cannot be separated. They're another, they're another diet or binary. So if you take the old idea that you probably learned as a kid, that you're in here looking out, you're walking around, and your mind is in here, and uh, this big point in the Shurangama Sutra, where exactly is the mind? Uh, you can take the contrarian view and say, actually, I'm walking around in my mind. You know, and this environment, this room, this world, this universe is also my mind, and I'm I'm not stuck to the ground like a tree. You know, I can walk around. So I'm walking around in this so-called mind. It's a principle of uh, mind only, the Yogacara school of thought from India, Yogacara, mind only. Everything is a manifestation of mind. But it's mind with a capital M, mind with a small M, then back to the ocean wave, you know, analogy. Thank you, Sensei. Guys, we may close up early today if we don't have, uh, looks like our discussion is is waning so let me let me uh do this i found that in our groups people are shy <laughs> or they i like to call people out in other words <laughs> i'm going to ask uh and if you don't want to say anything don't say anything and i'm going to ask brian to say something i, I noticed i could see the machinery behind me eyeballs <laughs> calling you out brian all right. Thanks, Sensei. Uh, I've, I've actually got the Derek Lynn version. And uh, if I could read it, uh, it says uh, there is something formerly, formalously created, born before heaven and earth, so silent, so eternal, independent and changeless, circulating and ceaseless. It can be regarded as the mother of the world. I do not know its name. Identifying it, I call it Tao. Forced to describe it, I call it great. Great means passing. Passing means receding. Receding means returning. Therefore, the Tao is great. Heaven is great. Earth is great. The sovereign is also great. There are four greats in the universe, and the sovereign occupies one of them. Humans follow the laws of the earth. The earth follows the laws of heaven. Heaven follows the laws of Tao. Tao follows the laws of nature. So you hear a little more Confucianism in there, but the the emperor and the organization of government on earth reflects that of heaven. And heaven is following the Tao. Earth is following heaven and so forth. Yeah. Any question about that that isn't clear to you and the phrasing there? How do you feel about that translation compared to the others? I found it a little more sort of quasi-scientific, a little less sort of uh, florid in its language, a little more sort of down to earth. Yeah, I like how it lists it out there there at the end, you know, and and uh, in 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 order. That's uh, that's what stood out to me, and that's that's what I kept going back and reading over. Uh, right. I'm a little simple-minded, so it was uh, it was easy for me to absorb. Thanks. There's an old saying in Buddhism: we in our meal verse, we 
reflect on the efforts of Scottish food and consider how it comes to us and so forth. But at one point, it also says, uh, you know, we dedicate this meal uh, and uh, it includes uh, the four benefactors. And the four benefactors are the government, the leaders, the political leaders, and then the uh, your teachers, your parents, and so forth. So all the people who have have benefited you or are benefiting you as benefactors in your life. And uh, the efforts that brought us the food are all the people who grew it and prepared it, et cetera, et cetera. So Confucianism kind of winds its way through all of these teachings of Zen that uh, naturally evolved through China from India and changed. Because in India, it was a very different culture and society, but it picked up some of these Taoist and Confucianist uh, types of uh, emphasis uh, as it traveled through China. And it was, uh, Buddhism, I think, survived because it assimilated. It just assimilated, assimilated. And Christianity was known for that, too. It would take over the pagan holidays and things like that. So I think there's a little bit of that in here. And toward the end of one of these long poems in China, uh, it says, uh, ministers serve their lords, which is Confucianism, and children obey their parents. Not obeying is not filial. Failure to serve is no help. But then it goes on to say, with practice hidden, function secretly, like a fool, like an idiot. Just to continue in this way is called the host within the host. So the host within the host is uh, the most intimate. There's the host and the guest. So the host and guest are standing for self and other. Any any pair of binaries that you choose to think about. And so if if you go through four transitions, host and guest, the host without the guest, the guest without the host, so forth. The most intimate is the host within the host. So it's as if you have retreated inward to a point that no place that nobody else can share. It's only yours. And, you know, as I said before, your your mind, nobody has your mind. Nobody has your world. It's born with you and it will die with you. But then these teachings are pointing out how, how um, that is part of everything else. And in this case, this expressing these values of Confucianism toward the end of the poem and say, but however, with practice hidden, function secretly like a fool, like an idiot. In other words, you don't have to make a big show of your spirituality or your, you know, religious practice or your faith or whatever. A fool and an idiot are not pejoratives the way in that culture the way they are now. An idiot was just somebody who's out of the mainstream and just didn't or couldn't conform to normal society. But uh, with practice hidden, you know, like a fool, like an idiot. In other words, keep your light under a bushel. You have this personal practice, Taoism, Buddhism, through which you make sense of your world and it becomes your spiritual practice. But that doesn't mean you have to show that to everybody else and make a point of it. You still can fit within the social constructs. And since I used to say, the Zen person has no trouble following the sidewalk. 
you know, in, since we're, already, I, we're already non-conformist, so we have no trouble conforming. In uh, in recovery, we say that it's attraction, not promotion. That's what you're talking about. Is that we we live in attraction. We don't uh, we don't promote anything. We we just yeah. live yeah. it out, and then other people, if that's what yeah. they want, then they're drawn to it. Yeah. Yes, I think that's what he means here. But people are great. You know, I just read the section. I'm, I'm doing the audiobook version of the original frontier, and in this section, I'm talking about how, in this practice, you may develop charisma, you may develop a kind of gravitas, and people may find it attractive, and they'll be coming to you. And you know, it's like a power. You have a power. Since I said, if you can put your whole self into the simple act of sitting meditation. You gain the power to put your whole self into everything you do and become the most powerful person in the world. Other people sense that when you have, we call it spiritual confidence, or confidence in everyday life. And through these practices, Taoism, Buddhism, meditation, etc., that may happen, but don't let it go to your head. It's just, it's just that you're doing this meditation and that's, that's changing everything for you. So you're not losing your mind when everybody else is going crazy. You somehow have, you know, have a center. I wanted to also ask Pedro if he had anything to say. <laughs> oh, no, I don't want, never ask a yes or no question in interviewing. I said, uh, let's see what Pedro has to say. Maybe he has to say something. No, I was just, I mean, I was just thinking about uh, a while ago that uh, what I understood here is that Tao is like everything. It is in everything. Uh, but I was just wondering if Tao is in everything, everything is in is Tao as well. You know, do you know what I mean? I mean yep. Yep. that's because what I was there's a word called samadhi. Samadhi means like uh centered balance state, you know, natural mm -hmm. state. So we say chickens, dogs, cats and cows are all in samadhi. The different degrees, <laughs> even trees and insentient stone. Yeah. And then at least we look to, and I think Taoism is like this we're returning to the Tao, we're returning to our original nature. So there's some comfort in knowing that it's always there, no matter how crazy we are at the moment, it's always there. Like the bottom of the ocean is very still, even though there's a hurricane on the, on the, uh, cyclone in the surface. So Marla said something and Amy said something that I'd like to hear more before we quit. Are we, we're about there. Pedro, anything else on that one? No, no. No, that's it. Sensei. Thank you. Amy, Marla? Mm -mm. Does the, the word in C2 have anything to do with this as well? This? In, su, in C2. In its, its basic form. In what? In, in situ, S-I-T-U. In situ. Yes, in situ. Yeah, have anything to do with this? This this particular verse does it doesn't in situ mean um, at its basic level. In situ means all the causes and conditions that are present, presently operative. Right? Something in situ, is that what you mean? Are you speaking, are you referring to something specific that I don't, I'm not familiar no, with? No, I'm not. 
No, nothing specific. The expression, the expression institute. Yeah. As I get it, it means that nothing really is independent of the context in which it manifests. So, you, you, Marla, you're there living in your place. I'm here living in my place. You can't separate me from this situation, and you can't separate you from that situation. We could trade places. I could come there, and you could come here, and then that would be different. But in situ, I think causes and conditions is used in Buddhism a lot. Okay, the, the particular causes and conditions that you are born into are unique, and you cannot separate your personality, your persona, or further from that. People say, I wouldn't do what Hitler did. Well, you're not Hitler. You know, if you were Hitler, you can't say that you wouldn't do what Hitler did. You know, I mean, that's an extreme case. No, but you made your point. <laughs> Definitely made a point. Is that the point you were making? You you made a good point about that. Kato is the term Dogen used. Kato, K-A-T-T-O, is a Japanese term. It means entangled, like the stereo line. Mm. Like, uh, when you're born, you're born into a kind of swamp of all of these entanglements. But the the uh, poem I was citing said uh, um, you 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 become free from all entanglements. You can become free from all entanglements. There's a very positive message both in Taoism and Buddhism. Through this practice you can become free of all entanglements. So the the, the situation in situ does not have to be dominant. It does not control you. That you cannot separate yourself from it. That's the way. I, that's the way we see it. I think in, in Buddhism. Is there a reason you brought that up? What? Is, I, I don't. I don't know why. I just you know how you connect thoughts. Like here's the, the, we're talking about how big the universe is and and all of us in it and how we're this and that. And um, just the word in C two came up in my head as as um because I understood it to mean everything. In its right. original form. Right. The larger situ, the larger context, the universal, the natural, the social, the personal, right? The whole enchilada. Anything else for Sensei? We're up on the hour. <laughs> I know that we're going to do another time change this Sunday, by the way. Yeah. It's time. I hope it doesn't freak you out. Sunday night's daylight savings time here. Speaking of time, I think I think this 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 is an ex- interesting exercise in Buddhism's or Zen's view of time. We're all in different time zones, so the time is all different for all of us, and yet we're all in the same time. Is that wild? So it's different and the same at the same time. It's a koan. <laughs> time has nothing to do with the flock, right? Nothing at all. Wow. Thanks, Sensei. Y'all have a great week. Hello, this is Buddy C. I wanted to make you aware of several recovery-related resources that I've posted in the episode description. These resources include a list of recovery podcasts, a free sober meditation app, daily recovery email, shared Google recovery calendars. Hope you put some of these resources to use and have a great week. Thank you for listening to the Tao of Our Understanding Recovery Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends in recovery.